there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, I'm I'm holed up in my studio dodging, I guess, uh, eggs being thrown because I'm hidden away. I didn't get any candy for the kids tonight because I don't believe in poisoning kids any day of the year, including Halloween. Am, am I just a killjoy, Dr. Batar? I don't think so, Robert. I don't think you're a killjoy at all. I think you're the party of the town. <laughs> yes, it's like they're coming over. We're getting them something that they're going to go like, "Ooh, that's good for me. I don't want that." But you know, honestly, uh, my wife did make some organic cupcakes for uh, Ari's class. They were doing a Halloween party, so at least they were a little less toxic in terms of junk food for at least one party. Yeah, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. Uh, you know, the healthy food always makes it. Always makes it good, doesn't it? Yeah, and we ha- we had some healthy food. We missed you this weekend. I know you were on the road again, but the uh, uh, Hearthlight Healing event, another cancer event, this time in North Georgia in Gainesville. Uh, Ty and I was there, and a lot of folks that you, you got to meet, some for the first time at the uh, Truth About Cancer event, and we spoke to a lot of the medical community up there, and it was funny because you know how I, I like to make constipation jokes about doctors? And mm-hmm. uh, they actually did laugh at my jokes, but one of them that works in a hospital up there came up to me afterwards say, hey, go a little easy on us. We're not all bad. <laughs> I said, no, I know that. But the ones who are bad, they're the ones who are supposed to get upset, not you, because you're a good guy. So the, is, is that the doctors you said that the movie um, um, Doc Hollywood was made about? Oh, yeah, he was one of the guys that was there. He's a good guy. He, he doesn't, he's not exposed to a lot of the things that you know that I know, but he's far, far, far on the inside of research institutions like Emory University, and he's got a really great heart, and you know, he, he's, he's really into natural healing. But when I've talked to him in the past, because he's a friend of my mother's as well, about the things that you've done, that we can do, that Dr. Nick has done, Linda Isaacs has worked with pancreatic cancer have done, his eyes get really big like he's never heard of that before. But rather than being the kind of, oh, that's ridiculous, it's not proven, he's genuinely like a kid at that moment, so intrigued, so interested, said, please, I want to know more, I want to meet these people, I want to learn this stuff. So uh, I was so encouraged. I knew that guy where his heart is, but there were a lot of other doctors that did show up that are finally opening up as we've said, consciousness is shifting. It's not an easy thing for a lot of those folks. But, you know, I even at the end had talk with a, an elderly doctor. I imagine he, he might have been in his 70s, still working in a hospital, a nice man, very much appreciative of the information. But you could tell he kind of was feeling a little awkward because there was a lot of biting truths that were being exposed there. Yeah, you know, that's one of the hallmarks, I think, of a person that is in expansive mode and is in growth mode because they're intrigued, the curiosity is piked when they hear about something that's innovative, something new, something that could potentially benefit their patients versus somebody who immediately dismisses it or minimizes something that's outside of their normal um, pool of uh, knowledge. And I think that inherently an individual who may not know something about 
a certain subject matter that's open and curious about it, especially if it could have an impact on other people's lives in a positive manner. I think that's what distinguishes, if you want to say, a good guy versus a bad guy, mm. the openness to receive yes. as opposed to the closeness of saying, hey, I know everything and there's nothing more to know. Well, and what we've known, too, and we've talked about this a number of times over the years, is that the patients are driving this more than the doctor community is. It doesn't mean, as we said, that there are no doctors open to it. We know that, by and large, in their run-of-the-mill, everyday kind of work-a-day world, they're not being exposed to this kind of information that we cover on a regular basis or that, what you know, the things that were revealed at The Truth About Cancer. But the, uh, you know, the idea that they wouldn't be open, I don't like to judge a book by its cover, I get, I you know, I try to give the benefit of the doubt, and and some some people, these docs, believe it or not, some of them have just not been exposed to this yet. Yeah, Robert, I totally agree with you. I completely agree with you, and I think that uh, which the point, the, the points that you're making, you know, and this closeness versus openness, I think that really is the distinguishing factor, um, and I think that we. As uh, in the medical community, there are a lot more of us out there uh, that we realize that are really excited and, and, and receptive to finding the truth and finding out more. I think that as um, more people find out that there are others out there, for, as an example, if you look at the CDC, you know, we, we kind of hit the CDC all the time. But the truth is there are people in the CDC that are very aware of what we're doing, people, doctors like that are dealing with a heavy metal issue and persistent organic pollution issue. Uh, They're very aware of the issue, how clinically important it is. They're very appreciative that there are doctors like us out there that are doing something about it, but they didn't realize that there were doctors like us in there. And so we, as a general rule, when you and I are talking, you know, the CDC is always, we always kind of are negative about the CDC, and they deserve it. But, again, toxicology versus infectious disease, all the fame and uh, all the Hollywood movies are made about the uh, infectious disease team, they don't talk about the toxicology team, and the toxicology teams, they, they're the ones who are really intrigued by what we do. So I think you're, this point that you bring up is very valid because we are, there are people out there that, that are on board, but they don't know that we exist, and vice versa. We don't know they exist, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But as the community becomes bigger, as the global community gets, becomes bigger, and there's a lot of opportunity for like-minded people to get together, share ideas, come up with better solutions, and I think um, that's what the Truth About Cancer conference uh, I felt that that's what it was about, part of what that was about that, and maybe this conference that you just came from, because like you said, there was a lot of doctors there, and they may not have gotten your constipation jokes. But <laughs> well, I, yeah, they, they laughed anyway, but the, the childlike curiosity is something I, I, I'm just, I, the word curiosity is a really cool word. I was used, I think, last week at some point, I don't remember when, it was like, yeah, I remember being curious about the world. I'm still curious about the world, but when I hear the word, I think back to the times where I looked at the world and I said, you know, I really would like to know about that. I'd like to know about that. I'd like to know what happens. What is it that stops that, right? At a certain point, we're like, we're just not curious anymore. Like the doctor community that would be exposed to new information that might not be open to it, that would just dismiss it outright versus those that I encountered this week who were genuinely curious. What is it that shuts people down to this? Well, I think part of it may be ego. Uh, part of it is that self-importance that has been uh, propagated and fertilized and, you know, grown and nurtured that, hey, you're a physician and you know more than everybody else. And I think that goes back to uh, the history of medicine and how uh, everything else like the homeopathy and the natural remedies were all poo-pooed and they started the new medical thought process, which 
goes back to the the, the history that you and uh, and Ty talk about in your book. You know, the mm-hmm. the flexion report and all that, that where that whole thing started. So I think there's been an orchestrated move to make doctors feel that they were more important and their knowledge base was beyond reproach. And whatever you've learned is it, and that's it, and that's the gospel. And I think that's where it really stops for a lot of doctors. But those that have either they're more aware or they're more conscious, and as they go through their uh, experience in medicine, they start realizing that there's a lot that we don't know, and they're the ones that are curious. They're the ones that really want to improve the health of the patients. The rest of them are either scared to step out because they've been witness to the uh, ostracization of the those mm-hmm. that don't, you know, toe the party line type of thing. You know, if you're not going to be part of our team, then we're going to get rid of you type of thing. So I think that's really what comes down to ego. And, and then, of course, the self-importance power thing. You know, you're part of the good old boys club, and if you violate it, boom. Yeah. I love that you said ostracization. I usually stumble on that word. Hearing it from you now, I know I'm confident I can say it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, if I it, can say it, anybody can say it. Right, yeah, it is, it's it's easy enough for a caveman to do it. So, as Super Don <laughs> likes to say. Super Don, by the way, are you dressing up like a caveman for Halloween? I, I just want to know to scare the grandkids. I saw that one of your grandkids, you dressed up like Donald Trump. That's correct. That is correct. But no on the caveman. Why, no why would caveman? I dress up like a caveman? How did you pick that? Well, it just kind of occurred to me that, that you know, you could intimidate <laughs> children at the door if you were a caveman. That's oh, all. no, no. Actually, you know, it's dark right now, so all the lights are off because I'm on the air. Oh, that's well, I'm hidden away in the in the, in the studio as well, so we don't get totally are... egged by people that want <laughs> Halloween treats we're not going to give out. Uh, yes. But, yeah, if you could be a caveman, you could carry a club like that guy in your favorite show, uh, The Walking Dead. Oh, true. Yeah. That is yeah. true. I have some thought behind it. All right, all right. You're anyway, working. Your brain is working. There. We're far removed. Well, you know, speaking about the caveman mentality, there's a study here out of England that says a cholesterol test for one-year-olds could be of some use, could be helpful. I'm thinking, you're, you want to check one-year-olds for cholesterol? Are you kidding me? This is this is where we, we don't give a lot of credence or credit to how horribly wrong medicine has gone. Yeah, Robert, this is really an interesting thing that you just said, because the test in itself, you know, mm-hmm. if they want to check cholesterol, fine. You know, if you want to know what the temperature in the Congo is and how it's affecting the um, the um, crop in of corn that's being grown in Iowa, there's no relevance, obviously, but hey, if you want to know that, that's fine. You can go ahead and do it. The problem is what they'll do with that information when yes. they do this cholesterol test and they see some kids with the cholesterol levels that don't meet the normal criteria of, you know, within the normal reference range, what they've defined as a normal reference range, they're going to start giving children statin drugs. And, oh, my God, that's, these kids are going to have a hepatocellular carcinoma. They're going to have liver cancer by the time they're 15 years old. This is just an, uh, it's beyond absurdity to mm-hmm. start looking at it. And, again, if people really, if, if the public really understood what is the relevance of cholesterol in the body, the relevance of cholesterol in the body is that it is one of the most important components in the human physiological system. Mm-hmm. It is depend, all sex hormones are dependent on it. The cell membrane integrity is dependent on it. And if you start to decrease that, especially during a developmental phase, why don't you just shoot the kid right now in the head? 
Oh, I, well, yeah, I mean, this is it. This is this is a, a culling of the herd kind of test because, it's as you said, it's one thing that, hey, we're curious about levels in kids, and you can analyze it and learn something from it that may be helpful in academia or to teach doctors something good. But in this case, what is it, what is it going to do? They're going to say, oh, you have familial hypercholesterolemia. And, and Dr. Batar, we've talked about your issue with, with cholesterol. You would have been put on a statin drug at age zero. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this is one of the things that, it's happening all the time where under the pretense, and this is a, actually, if you think about it, Robert, this is exactly how the medical, medical boards operate too. Under pretense of public safety, here it's under pretense of yeah. childhood preventive disease, they're going to create more problems. Yep, yep. And since uh, the adults no longer take statins, a lot of them because of how horrible they felt on them, the liver damage it did, uh, we'll give it to the kids because they won't be able to say no. That's that's a Halloween scare for you for modern medicine. Well, we got advanced medicine today, as we do every week with Dr. Rasha Bittar, and we're going to take the scare out of healing after this. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. In the health world, through the power of radio, it's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Well, we were just talking about cholesterol with Dr. Rasha Bittar because they want to test one-year-olds for high cholesterol. It's like, what are they going to do? Drug them to death, and that's not an exaggeration. That is a Halloween scary. Um, what another Halloween scary is the whole pink ribbon breast cancer pink washing month, and we're just about to leave it. Those of you listening live on Halloween evening with us. Uh, with Dr. Ashabatar Advanced Medicine. And there's a story here about, you know, think about hormones, because you said it, and it's so right, cholesterol, the most vital precursor to your sex hormones. And you talk about developmental hormones in youth and even in elder, old, elder ages, they keep us young. Now we've got the women about uh, breast cancer issue, breast density and breast cancer risk. Apparently they're confused about what breast density means as it relates to breast cancer risk, or mammograms. Of course, they go right to radiation is the only way to detect stuff, and that's wrong. Uh, but this is around the world because they have this huge pink ribbon in Dubai. So the cancer industry has succeeded in almost taking over the entire planet. That's a pretty sad thing, but one component that is very, very obvious, Robert, when you travel throughout the world, and I'm sure you've noticed this too, the preponderance of U.S. medicine being considered the um, the definitive component, like that, you know, like the gospel. It's yep. pretty much if the U.S. says it, it's what it is. So whether you're in the Middle East, whether you're, you know, in Central America, everybody is interested in what the U.S. is doing. So then you have places like uh, Kaiser, you have places like uh, John Hopkins, um, Cedar sinai all these different places in the United States that have annexes set up in these different countries. And so you've got, you can go to John Hopkins in Panama. You can go to John Hopkins in, in Asia. You know, you've got all these different annexes that have got spread out. And what they do then is they spread, it's almost like a, um, an infectious disease, if you will. <laughs> then they, huh. they start infecting those areas. And so then the pink ribbon components and all these other um, BS type of um, illusions that have been created also follow that network that's been created as they expand. Yeah, it is interesting. And, you know, I always come back to my two trips to West Africa when I told the doctors there that I, that I work with and, and, you know, we're training. 
You know, it's like training them to say, you know, I want to learn from you. I want you to go back to the medicine of your ancestors in the bush. Save it because it will save you ultimately because we're poisoning you. And it is not, you know, it's not that there isn't a benefit to modern medicine in terms of emergency trauma. That's amazing. We never dispute that. But the issue is everything else, which is a lot, which, which, you know, with all the bells and whistles and technology and all the whirring sounds that happen and the white lab coats that, that are intimidating, it's really not that impressive. And that's why I say, you know, when I call it a medical degree, I know some people laugh, some people groan, some people get offended. But really, the common sense that God gives us, a lot of folks that get the degree, they just kind of leave that on the side. Right. And I think that um, Ty Ty and I actually had this conversation. um, So uh, you know how I feel about this. I also feel the exact same way that we've made great advances in medicine when it comes to trauma and acute Mm -hmm. care type situations. But everything else, it's, it's pathetic at best. Um, it's palliative, it's, it's not, people don't recover from this stuff. Having said that, we, I think that we also have to be very cautious from, from people utilizing um, the um, titles mm-hmm. when they haven't earned those titles. So, so um, it, we'll talk about this off the air, but my point simply is that when people uh, mislead the public, for example, if somebody has a... Uh, a degree in whatever type of healing process or anything for that matter, the public should know that. And somebody who doesn't have that degree, they shouldn't be, at least this is my opinion, they shouldn't be um, using that degree to mislead the public, which I think one of the concerns that the medical boards have. Now, sure. is that legitimate? I think it is legitimate, and I think that I think that, that should be... Um, well, I like truth I in labeling, Dr. Batar. Like, I, I mentioned this, like, when I lectured at the naturopathic uh, gastroenterology conference, I was the only homeopath to lecture there, and I was the only one that presented on a protocol for recovery that didn't include any drugs. And, and I was at a naturopathic school, right? The naturopaths were talking about drugs. And I thought, this is strange. They're naturopaths, okay? They're granted the title of naturopathic doctor based on their training, but they're not naturopathic doctors. They're medical naturopathic doctors, which which might be great if that's what you want, and that's cool. I got no problem with that. But there are also traditional naturopaths that don't go through that. They're different. They say they're different. This is what we are. This is what you are. I would just just say who you are. Don't lie about it, right? I think that's fair. Anyway, and, and if you say you're a medical doctor, we'll be very cautious around you, right? <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break here. Dr. Rasha Bittar doing advanced medicine, the kind of medicine we like here on the Robert Scab Bell Show. Check him out at drbittar.com, D-R-B-U-T-T-A-R.com, linked up in the show notes, as well as his international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. that masked man was? It's a bird! It's a plane! Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day! bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. Right, taking a broadcast moment to do a Halloween scary, but actually a Halloween empowerment. It's a quote from my friend Michael Bolden from the 10th Amendment Center. The greatest enemy of the Constitution on the face of the earth is the, is the U.S. federal government. Ponder that, folks. Ponder that, right? The enemy within, and our founders warned us against that, Think about that when you go to the ballot box, if you do, uh, in about a week or so. 
All right, Dr. Batar, we're back at it. Breast density and breast cancer, do they have something to do with one another? I mean, this story we were, we were hitting at just briefly was talking about mammograms and how to read mammograms. Well, we've talked about thermography and other ways to detect this stuff without radiating tissue. Uh, but what is the relationship with the so-called breast density and breast cancer? Well, I think that when you look at the literature, you're probably going to get both supporting and non-supporting evidence of that. Some people would say, yes, there's an increase in uh, breast density with cancer, and other people would say, well, there's studies that have shown that that's not. Um, bottom line is, though, cancer is a process that begins as a secondary issue to an environmental trigger. And it's not, it's not a genetic uh, disorder, although genetic predisposition may play a role in it, but that doesn't mean it's a genetic issue. Um, when you start talking about density, you know, you have fibrocystic breast disease. Fibrocystic breast disease is benign. It's not uh, anything that some people would say there's a higher incidence of breast cancer with people that have fibrocystic disease, and yet there's literature to support otherwise. So I don't think there's any correlation between breast density. I can't even say that. I said that three times fast. <laughs> yeah, breast that density. one's harder than, than the ostracization. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood, right? One of those type of things. Um, Breast density, I don't believe, is a parameter or anything that you can hang your hat on to say that if you have increased density of your breast tissue that you're going to have a higher incidence of cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and think about, as we've talked about for years, and if you read in the nine steps to keep the doctor away, again, the toxicity in the tissue. It's a collection, if you will, of heavy metals, of pesticides, We've now talked about glyphosate and GMOs are finding evidence of that in breast milk and breast tissue, and this is where we're seeing these cancerous tumors happen. And, of course, the spread or the metastasis often happening through the lymphatic system, which is part of the drainage canal of the body, which, unfortunately, many of these oncologists look at at the lymphatic system as if it's the enemy, and rather than understand it and help it to work again, they just start removing those drainage channels. Yeah, that's a huge, huge issue. That's exactly right. So just to add to that, Robert, Besides the toxicity aspect, and the other one is the nutritional aspect. That tissue is not getting the nutrients that it needs. The very, very intricate and essential mineral balance has been disrupted. Um, There's either a deficiency or a relative deficiency, meaning deficiency is an absolute deficiency where the the minerals are just not there, or a relative deficiency in that uh, there's nothing that is absolutely deficient, but because one mineral is extremely high compared to the other ones, it creates a relative deficiency, and so those type of imbalances are the other second reason that you may develop that cancer at that very spot. Usually it's a combination of both, though, the, the nutritional deficit or relative deficit and the toxicity aspect. Mm-hmm. But the point being, again, it's not something that's dependent on the density of the tissue. I think there's many different um, components that could contribute to increased or decreased breast density that are not oncogenic in process or not cancerous in process. Yeah. Folks, there's a lot more we've talked about cancer over the years together doing advanced medicine. And one of the easiest ways you can get the archives is to go to, what do we say? Medicalrewind.com. Medicalrewind.com. And again, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours now of great advanced medicine together with Dr. Batar. We have a, a callers come in from time to time, sometimes live. We've taken them, 866-939-BELL. Other times they call and leave a message when we're not on the air which is exactly uh, what happened with this caller, and I want to go to it right now. Hello! Hey, this is 
is LJ in Baltimore. I'm just calling to try to get a question in about lipomas and, and what to do. I, uh, I went back and listened to a program from the Robert Scott Bell show from 2012, and uh, Robert had mentioned about his mother had two lipomas, and he used, I think, heat sulfur. Um, but he didn't really go into some detail about what he did and how much and you know that kind of thing. So anyway, just wondering if that would work with uh, multiple lipomas. I'm getting multiple ones, just different areas, mainly stomach and ribs. And just curious if there's anything you know that can be done um, as far as what causes them and, and how to get rid of them, if possible. Um, regular allopathic medicine has no answer other than to cut them out. So hmm. appreciate any uh, help I, I can get on that. Thank you. All right, LJ from Baltimore, great question. And, he, and he's referring to, uh, I love it that they listen all the way back as they, as they find out about the show, Dr. Batar. Uh, but, yeah, my mom had a, a massive one, in fact. That I joked about it on the air uh, once that, you know, it was so big I thought a Buick was going to drive out of it. I mean, that it was just bad. It was painful for her. Why, and of why course, a Buick? Because those were big cars at the time. It was really big. Oh, I got you. Yeah, that's all. It was just a, a large car joke. But uh, the reality was, uh, you know, it took a, a number of years to grow to the point where the tissue would finally be expulsed from her body, and it was just a horrible mass of uh, just foul things. And, uh, you know, as I said, hypersulfur calcarium is a homeopathic remedy that can help facilitate that, but it's not the only thing. I don't want to oversimplify these things. Uh, there were a lot of things we had to do to clean up her diet because there's a lifetime of accumulation that was being reversed as she changed her diet later in her life. Now she's 82, almost 83, and she's on zero drugs. She would have been dead of cancer years ago had she not gone the way she went. We've talked about this issue of lipomas. This guy's got multiple lipomas that he said around his middle section and such. As you have you you've encountered these before? Yeah, lipomas are actually quite um, they're quite common. Um, Robert, I would have to tell you that in my experience with lipomas, um, mm-hmm. as uh, when I was in general surgery, uh, people would often come in with lipomas, and the general advice that was given to most of these patients. Um, and, of course, it was the only advice that I gave, but even the consensus with some of the colleagues in other surgeons, conventional, it was the same thing. If it's not bothering you, leave it alone. Now, mm-hmm. today, my understanding of a lipoma and understanding physiology is much different. Well, my understanding of physiology has evolved, but my yes. understanding of lipoma is based on physiology is much different than it would have been, say, 15 years ago. Um, I would still say that a lipoma is, if it's not bothering you, if it's not over a joint, if it's not over uh, an area that is, you know, constantly rubbing or irritating you, then leave it. Don't do any kind of surgery. And if it is, then you may want to consider surgery. But um, I think the much better course of action would be what you were talking about with the homeopathic remedies, which I don't have any experience with lipomas. But a lipoma, I think, is a reaction or a response, a reactive defensive response of the body to, as you said, with your mom's uh, issue, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's loculating some of that area up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a cool word you just said. Did you say loculating? Yep, loculating. That, yep. I like that word. Uh, Raj, I don't think I've ever heard you say that, loculating. It's like locking it away. It sounds like what it sounds like. Is, it, is that right, locking it away? Yeah, well, uh, in, we t- generally tend to use that like loculated fluid in the lungs. So it's like pools, like little pockets mm-hmm, of fluid mm-hmm. that form. So it's, uh, it's basically what you just said. It kind of locks it away or it's locked, loculated in to that particular tissue. And I think lipomas may be that type of reaction because we know yeah. my belief system, at least, and I know that you uh, yes. have the same belief system, that cancer, the tumors, are actually 
um, not a problem the way we think it is. Everybody thinks that the tumor is a cancer. I think the tumor is the body's defensive mechanism to try exactly. to wall off the cancer from growing. Exactly. And, uh, so I think that's what, probably what a lipoma is. Yeah, I agree. I, this is what, you know, my experience has been with this, and that's why it, it is one thing to remove them if they're annoying you or if they are hurting you, impinging on something. Uh, but the long-term recovery, as I said, and I saw, and, and there's a, even a picture of it. It's kind of gross for those that are not into that in my mom's autobiography. She talks about that in her journey back to health and what happened and how she made a decision where the doctors were, for, for lack of a scientific term, freaking out about it, you know, as they do, trying to tell you, oh, it's cancer, it's going to kill you. And, of course, her homeopathic husband at the time, and he was my mentor, uh, was saying, no, no, this is good. Your body is mobilizing its defenses. I mean, he sounded like, like Dr. Batar. He's saying, this is a good thing. It's strengthening. Let's encourage this, encourage it. But most people don't have the patience to wait. And she did. She fought through it. And eventually, it left her body. There's, a, there's actually an indentation on her back. You can see where it was. It was so large. But after that, her health got tremendously better. And I think it also may have had an, uh, a, a contributing factor where the the uh, um, menopausal hormones they put her on, Primarin and Provera, which were really messing with, with women for many years, causing cancer. So, Robert, I just want to stop you for a second. Did you say her husband was your mentor? So is that For a while, yeah. They were yep. married, yeah. Yeah, they got together. It was a, that's, a, that's a whole long your, story. Your mom you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. See, oh, okay. the, so, you, so, so this was like your stepdad. Yeah, he was like my stepdad for a while. And see, the thing is, it was interesting. Uh, you know, I'd go back to the story briefly because it's kind of cool. My mom was always the innovator. She's an entrepreneur. And now she's a dancer. She's always been a dancer. But she started a business and professional singles club for her age because she, you know, she wasn't married at the time. She's like, hey, that's a great way to, to start it out. And uh, she brought in the, the coolest speakers ever. I would go, and I didn't care to meet people that weren't my age, but I wanted to learn all the time. And then this guy shows up from Belgium, and I'm like, dude, this guy knows some stuff. i got to learn. And that's how it started. That's the short version of it. Oh, so it's a fascinating backstory. Story. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, pretty no, wild. I didn't know that. That's, that is a great story. Inner autobiography is probably in there. Okay, well, that's, yeah, actually, I will read that. So uh, just to come back to the lipoma issue, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, lipomas are defined as a benign cancer. Yeah. Um, and so, really, if it's benign, it's not growing. And I think that's the reason that uh, you don't see they're not considered any issue from a conventional standpoint. But, I, again, it's kind of seeing an area of deficit or an area of nutritional uh, imbalance, and it's a protective mechanism, a reaction that loculation, you know, kind of locks it away from everything else. I think that's really what it is. And, and I think a homeopathic remedy would, by far, if something there's out there that can work, Robert, I mean, it would be foolish not to try it. Sure. And, and, you know, the only thing is I tell folks, it's like it's not like allopathic medicine, although in an acute phase scenario, Arnica can help immediately with injury. We know that. And that's that's why it could be used along with allopathic acute trauma care. There's no reason that they have to be mutually exclusive. But when we're talking about chronic accumulation, we've talked about the fact that you, you, you don't want to shock the system to remove everything all at once. It could kill you. You know, the toxins that dump when you're dealing with cancer, if you eradicate it so quickly, cachexia, we've talked about. So the idea that I was on is the long, taking the long view, unless you're in a life or death scenario where you've got no other option, I want to work it back out, not as long as it took you to get there, because for me, when I started at the age of 24, it didn't take me 24 years to undo. It took me two intense years to undo the vast majority of what I suffered with the previous 24. So for me, that math was like a month for every year. I know it varies from person to person, but it also depends on how dedicated you are to, to stay the course and to do what is necessary. Read. Read it. 
The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away was one of the books I had in my PowerPoint presentation this weekend because it's that important. Dr. Rasha Bittar is with us. We're wrapping up Advanced Medicine, another uh, astounding Halloween edition. Uh, we've got some more to talk about after the break. I think we might go into, let me see, the flu. Very interesting on this after the break. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Yeah, each and every week we go Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar. Links up in the show notes. Check him out. RobertScottBell.com. Uh, there's a few stories. We'll see if we can get to them real quick here. Uh, one was about overdiagnosing ADHD in children with autism. I'm like, dude, what's the point? I mean, isn't the issue of mercury toxicity enough that you're going to say, well, we have ADHD. Let's get, let's get them on Ritalin or Speed. I, this is one of those stories that annoys me, Doctor Batar. Well, it it it's a I, you and I are on the same sheet of music. It is yeah. It is uh, it is annoying. All right, um, well we don't I we don't have to spend time that on that study. No, no, yeah. I I think we'll leave that annoying one out just because it's just annoying. <laughs> I just okay. I, I let's let's move on to uh, uh, the lead levels in water. They're finding it more and more everywhere. Lead levels. There's school districts all over the United States that are scrambling as they're finding out there's lead in their water. It's like, dude, you know, this is a basic concept. It's not new that lead is toxic, but who didn't know that there'd be problems with these aging pipelines or adding fluoride to water and increasing its toxicity? Yeah, I think this is one more. This is a frustrating one in itself because the uh, tests that are available to do lead screenings have been around. Even the spot blood test. Mm-hmm. Um, it's relatively accurate, and they have done screens. We should do and back in the mid-2000s, so we're looking over 10 years ago, we would do free community lead screenings. We actually bought this machine, and it, you, know, you could just do like a blood stick that you would do for a diabetic to see what the blood sugar levels were with a, t- a finger stick, and you could get uh, pretty much um, plus or minus 3% accuracy on lead levels. And um, everybody knows, as you said, that lead is an issue. They took lead out of gasoline in the 80s, and even though there's still lead inside of unleaded gasoline, but they recognized finally, and this was, again, some of the CDC group, the toxicology group that helped to make that happen, which, you know, we don't realize. It was it was a CDC that was really behind it. Some of the researchers at the CDC that were really behind pushing the, uh, ad, trying to get the lead out of the gasoline, and they were ridiculed uh, by members of Congress and by their own peer group within the CDC. So they are good guys in these other areas, as I was mentioning before in the first uh, segment of the show today, but coming back to this lead issue, um, for them to be scrambling at this juncture, at this time in history, it's absurd. They, they should have had things in place. I think that they probably are not becoming more aware of it because there's more talk of it, and like you said, right. some of it may be because of the fluoride, some of it may be aging lines, but it's an absurdity to think that this is something that just snuck up on them. It, it didn't sneak yeah. up on them. Yeah, and as we find out, these government agencies, they like to make it a political issue, left versus right, but it turns out the EPA knew, for instance, in Flint, Michigan, that this was going on and did nothing as well. So it goes all the way up to the highest levels of the federal government, and that's why if you wait for the government to do something that's good for you, uh, you could be dead, or your child could be lead poisoned. That's what we're finding out. Now, on to the flu shot. The question is, does the flu provide better immunity than a flu shot? 
And, and I'm like, you know, on one, in one sense, of course, because you're actually being so-called exposed to the actual virus that you overcome. And now there's a theoretical immunity, although, as we know, immunity is not only to do with an antibody. In fact, you can have an antibody to a disease and still succumb to it if you're immune suppressed or immune depressed. We talk about the start of flu season being Halloween because you start hyper sugaring kids and adults with things that are upsetting their microbiome, the seat of the immune system. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Robert. So this thing with the with the flu shot, I mean, does, is it going to be better than the, I'm sorry, the, getting the flu, is that better than getting the flu shot? Well, in my world, yes. The answer is yes, unequivocally yes, because with the flu shot, you're getting all this other crap that you shouldn't get in your body. With the flu, you're just getting the flu. And this kind of comes back to even at the roundtable discussion at The Truth About Cancer, when I mentioned, if you recall, when I said, mm-hmm. you know, Robert and I are not against vaccinations, you know, but we are against stupidity. It's how we vaccinate. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I think I think that was probably. I had a number of people that came up to me um, that that day and the following day that said that really liked that topic. That, mm-hmm. that the way I presented that and addressed that topic. But you know, the thing is that this the flu shot itself. There is no justification for it because we know that there's thousands upon thousands of different strains of viruses, and each year it's an epidemiological type of assessment. That's a computer analog. That they, that they run as some type of um, uh, algorithm that they run to predict which one they think is going to be the culprit, and then they make the vaccine against it. So there's, there's no reason to give anybody the flu shot because you don't know. Right. I mean, up and down and sideways is a stock market, three choices, and they can't predict it. Now they're going to try to predict which virus is going to be the one that's going to cause it. No, it, it's another absurdity. And as we say, living healthy, living cleanly, exercising. Seriously, serious exercise can keep you healthier way better than any flu shot. And, of course, there is homeoprophylaxis for those that want that. Uh, Dr. Pratar, we're out of time. I can't believe how fast it goes. I do because we've been doing it for so many years. Can you tell them what they need to know before we're done? Well, I can tell them that the power to heal is yours. Absolutely. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Show. 